Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets Show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. I'm joined today by Bradley Gerard. Bradley, how are you? Very good, John. Thank you. Excellent. We're going to talk uh, news. Been some exciting stories this week. Absolutely. Good, good. And uh, Ian Smith, companies editor. How are you doing, Ian? Not too bad. How are you doing, John? I'm all right. I'm a bit hoarse. As uh, we've just been discussing, I was out on Tuesday at the game of all games. West Ham. West Ham. Yeah, it was, uh, it was exciting and I shouted myself silly. The voice is coming back, but um, yeah, I'm a little hoarse still, but it was all worth it. Okay, so we're going to talk about your cover feature, which is about boring companies. Yeah, boring and overlooked companies. Boring and overlooked, which we like. And also we're going to talk about some of the results uh, that we've had this week. Not many, but some, some interesting ones. Yeah, something like BT, etc. BT, absolutely. Very interesting indeed. Okay, Bradley, let's start with the news. What we've got going on? Yeah, I guess a few um, company-specific things first in seven days. Well, Hotel Chocolat, the sort of premium chocolatier, uh, the shares got going on AIM this week. And the first day of trading were up nearly a third, which is quite a remarkable performance. Obviously, you know, IPOs have a habit of doing very well very early on and then coming back down to ground again. But it's potentially a good sign for, you know, for the retailer, possibly retail in general. I mean, we had Supergroup's uh, update this morning. It's also very good. And we've got other things coming to market, like Jules, I think, which is kind of like a clothing company. They're yeah, going to be appearing soon. Yeah, so maybe posh is the word at the moment in terms of retail. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. looking at Hotel Chocolat's admission document and they seem to play into this high cocoa market, which is very popular at the moment. I think higher cocoa chocolate's actually healthier, isn't it? Less dairy, yeah, isn't it? obviously there's more cocoa, there's less potentially less sugar, less dairy, as you say, which is arguably slightly better for you, I suppose. And I mean, they've been doing it for, they've been around for a long time as a company. It's just that their growth in the past few years has been very, very strong and obviously led to this, um, led to them listing. So. Well, indeed, I mean, they are, uh, it's very nice chocolate. I'll say that for it. Yep. It's not It's not cheap, but it's good. It's definitely good. I mean, their, their, their uh, success has come as a company like, say, Thornton's has, has found itself going backwards. Absolutely. Over the last few years. And, you know, people had compared the two, not least uh, Sally Burko, who, um, yes, this is true, who, uh, when Thornton's was going through its troubles, had actually compared the two and said, you know, well, it's no surprise that Thornton's is doing badly because you've got companies like Hotel Chocolat, which are coming along and offering something that's really, really nice and premium. And actually not that. Not that much more expensive, really. No, exactly. You pay a little bit more, but I mean, you just have to see it on, you know, on a sort of a, an event time, a bit like Valentine's Day or Christmas. I mean, the shops are busy, They're very busy, and it, it might be a couple of quid extra you pay, but you're getting that better quality and I guess the service to a degree as well. I mean, the, the, again, something the company said in its document is that it does try to make sure that its staff are actually knowledgeable about the chocolate. So... I guess it plays into that larger kind of craft boutique trend mm. that's going on in well, so, so beer like, and cider and so like Fever Tree or absolutely. patisserie. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's interesting because I mean, you say retail is doing well. I mean, you know, some of the retail bigger retail surveys that we see, like the uh, CBI surveys and I mean, so it's having not been that great. Well, that's why I said like Posh seems to be doing well. So yeah, like Hotel Chocolate yeah. doing well. Supergroup slightly aimed at that sort of slightly wealthier, higher sort of uh, disposable income, I guess, market has done well, whereas like Next compared to Supergroup has struggled. I mean, Next, been, Next has been having a nightmare. Yeah, it's been doing doing quite... It's been finding things very difficult, I think, to put it diplomatically. Indeed. I mean, and actually we have uh, in this week's issue uh, our private investor diarist, uh, John Rosier. Um, and Next is one of his holdings, and I think, if I am not mistaken, he's dumped it. Really? He's dumped it, yeah. You know, that's, that's unbelievable, because Next has been... 
you know, it's been one of those core holdings that people have hung on to. Well, the big man there has been talking uh, very conservatively about the outlook, hasn't he, at Next? So you can, it's understandable that the, the shareholders are not getting especially optimistic about the future. Yeah, I mean... Particularly used, bad start of the year, wasn't well, it? Said, it was but, a I mean, months. But the way that Next is always... I mean, the ne- mm. Next management have always always offered yeah. cautious guidance, mm. but, but now the cautious guidance seems to be becoming a reality for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. For the first time in, you know, certainly as long as I've been covering retail or, or you know, last eight years at the magazine, it's, uh, it's, 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 yeah, things have come off there. It's that recovery in the consumer economy that we wrote about last year. We had a cover feature, didn't we, talking about which parts of the economy were doing better. Um, and there does seem to be some concerns around that consumer uh, spending. Um, whether it's quite strong or growing quite as quickly as people thought last year. Well, I mean, I mentioned this in an editorial a couple of weeks back. Uh, you know, actually, the retailers that I think will do well are the ones that are offering something more, that's more akin to an experience than, you know, just literally flogging, flogging stuff. And, uh, you know, I think Hotel Chocolat perhaps falls into that category. Patisserie certainly does. Yeah, know. exactly. It's you, the gift market as well. I mean, yeah, one thing that they, yeah. they consider themselves, you know, they talk about their competitors in terms of the competitors in the gift market. And I think it's quite interesting to look at those companies where, yeah, they're still going to get the supposed income. Being higher end becomes a good thing, you know, if you're giving it to another person. Well, my missus still likes Thornton, so I'm I'm <laughs> laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell her about Hotel Chocolate. She'll never know. Yeah, luckily she doesn't listen. Okay, right. What else have we got, Bradley? Um, I guess another thing that happened towards the end of press day was um, the fact that the 302 deal is off. Um, the European Commission's um, competition commissioner, I suppose is the best way to put it, has put a kibosh on that. She's uh, she's stopped it. She thinks it'll be bad for competition in the UK. Well, I actually heard that three are mounting a legal challenge against this. I think, you know, that would probably be very unsurprising. I mean, you know, they, they want to do the deal, so they, they're obviously going to appeal, but I mean, the European Competition Commission is, is very, very strong. I, I would be personally surprised if that succeeds, but yeah, I think it's a big, it's a big call, but Potentially, I suppose it's good for the UK consumer, arguably, because it maintains the four providers in the mobile phone industry as opposed to what would be three. Um, although it is good and bad for different companies, and we're going to have a have a look into that. Actually, we're going to hopefully do a blog tomorrow on you know, the the companies that can be the winners and losers from the fact this deal isn't going ahead now. Mm, I mean, not a lot really of uh, listed exposure to this place now, is there? Really, I mean, we've got Vodafone, obviously. Yeah, but, uh, I mean, the BT kind of chimes into it. You know, Talk Talk is kind of related to a degree. Um, yeah, looking at all sort of telephony sort of thing um, yeah I mean, let's talk BT while, uh, while we're on subjects yeah. of telecoms because they have results this week I mean, how, how, how did they look they look good actually yeah we, we described them as solid I, th- I think the kind of lot of the regulatory news that's come out has been good for BT obviously the um, decision to um, let open reach the BT open reach relationship stay as is was very good for them and they've kind of followed up w- at the same time with these results with their investment plans for high speed broadband so trying to mollify the regulator there um, so they've played that quite well and I think this um, uh, this uh, 302 decision that we've just been talking about is good for BT as well in terms of that would have created the largest mobile operator in the UK which would have been a kind of a threat to one side of their business having uh, picked up EE and they now you know that to be that quad play provider of having mobile landline broadband and tv it's kind of you know it's a good it seems to be um setting quite nicely for uh bt but it'd be interesting whether now kind of vodafone takes another look at um o2 um or what will happen to I mean, surely, surely, surely three and o, three and o two a tie up is 
you know, anti-competitive Vodafone O2 yeah. is going to be more so. I it, mean, especially because yeah, like, like Bradley said, I mean, the competition authorities in the UK and obviously in Europe too are so against taking it down from four operators. Um, but then you have to, would would someone like a, a kind of Sky come in for O2? You know, to add mm, that side mm. to it. You know, so in terms of, it would be really interesting to see how the competitive landscape plays out for BT. But at the moment, I think it's played its cards quite well. In I mean, terms it's, of it's the business, it's, it's doing well. It's an interesting competitive landscape in how, mm. how, how, you know, far the, the boundaries are blurring now between content and, and mobile service. And I mean, there was one bit of uh, news I heard recently about BT, which is that there's potentially going to uh, be an end to this, this rule that uh, you have to buy a landline to be able to get your broadband service. So, you know, I spend God knows what, you know, 15 quid a month on a, on a phone line that I don't use. Ditto. Not necessarily good news for them, but yeah, exactly. the, the other parts of business are more than making up for that. Yeah, and uh, that, that decision um, last year to spend all that money on, on TV rights um, is kind of come through quite well for them. That part of their business continue, continues to be strong. Um, so this uh, is sport, sport, sport mainly, isn't it? Yeah, sport mainly. Yeah, so that they, that's that's played out really, really nicely. Um, and Open Reach continues to do well. Well, um, they, prob- they probably bought all the all the Leicester matches because they would have been cheaper, wouldn't they? <laughs> Some of the big four matches. Exactly they would have right. had a bonus. What a value investment yeah, 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 value investing absolutely and the integration of EE to mention kind of mobile is, is ahead of schedule as well so yeah everything seems to be going quite well at BT mm. um, I think we, we kind of tipped it at the end of 2014 was that um, so it's been doing doing well since then but yeah, yeah they, they seem to have the right kind of strategy in various areas of the business but as Bradley says um, Theron will be taking another look at um, the winners and losers and the a fallout from the 302 decision yeah in a blog tomorrow Okay, so enough telecoms. What else we got, Bradley? I think we should actually touch on your uh, your leader column, John. Oh, actually, about Centrica. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I think we yeah. should touch on that briefly. Just just because I read well, something. I was so cross. I I, I can tell it. it, it <laughs> your anger oozes off the page. <laughs> Anyone listening? Page six, usual place. John's had a bit of a, a go at Centrica. I really was. I was very unimpressed with this. So you're a shareholder, and obviously you, as you said, buy your utilities from them as well. So well, yeah, yeah. I mean, a BT is a company that's never yeah exactly. Uh, had a glowing reputation for customer service. I, I would definitely say that BT has been a better experience recently than, than Centrica, than British Gas, who I'm a customer of. But then that's the nature of these large, you know, utilities, former state utilities. I mean, you know, beyond customer services, the thing that really annoyed me was that was the placing this week. Now, you know, you've, you've picked up an, uh, a piece this week where I think... Uh, an analyst, Where, where's it from, Bradley? Yeah, um, Jim Wood Smith, he works down at Wealth uh, Wealth Manager in Exeter called Hawk Small Investment Management. Um, he was just kind of touched upon this in this sort of like weekly kind of note thing where he just goes through ser- several issues during the week that he spotted. And he thinks that sort of um, fundraisings like this are going to come back as yeah. opposed to debt because um, he, well, he cites that. Um, ratio of US net corporate debt to earnings has doubled since the financial crisis. That figure is probably not quite as such a great magnitude in the UK, but I suspect it's going in a similar direction. So his his view actually is that the world needs a lot less debt. More equity. And so equity issuance yeah. is the most obvious answer. So uh, he's, he's saying Centrica's message is loud and clear. Balance sheet strength has never been more important. Rights issues are coming back. Absolutely. So, so Centrica's uh, rationale for, for raising this money through, through an equity placing was that it needs to protect its credit rating. Fine. You know, I, I accept that. I think it, you know, needs to protect that rating. That's important in the line of business that it's in. It's got a fair amount of debt on its balance sheet. Absolutely fine. But, you know, 750 million doesn't sound like a huge amount of money in this crazy world we live in. But in, in terms of Centrica's equity, that's 7%. Then yeah. my shares are worth 7% less all of a sudden. And I've got no say in the matter because 
it's not a rights issue. I don't get to decide whether I want to participate. I don't get to decide whether I want to sell those rights. It's not even an open offer. I mean, it's it's it's. I just thought it was appalling. Have you seen more uh, placings coming through as uh, as in opposition to rights issues over the past few years? Or? I mean, you know, we we don't see much of it, and mm. you know, we see what we see in the uh, on the takeover page. We haven't got any this week as it happens. Yeah, exactly. um, but no, I, yeah, placings seems are, they're easier. Yeah, they're easier to do. That's what we heard after Hornby did its placing, didn't we? And there was yeah. a fair amount of readers that were annoyed about that. And they said, well, we do it because it's easier to raise the money with institutional yeah. investors, you know, and yeah. You know, I mean, to, no, to go to the retail market, you know, you have to, and, and this has been one of the things, and in fact, this ties back to Hotel Chocolat, which I'll mention in a minute, but to do anything that involves retail investors, you know, there's a lot more uh, red tape to jump through because investor protections being, and, and the FCA want to protect retail investors from, you know, making financial decisions that they're, without, you know, being fully informed about them. Um, if you go to an institution, you, you know, you have to do that. These, you know, you, the assumption is these guys know what they're doing. And I think that's really interesting in the context of how the FCA's try, FCA is trying to change equity capital markets. They've got the consultation out at the moment. I wrote about that a few weeks back is to try try and give retail investment investors more of a fair squeeze when it comes to IPOs um, and in terms of getting the less of the tide research out there earlier. But the thing is, the more regulation you put in around it and the more uh, difficult and arduous you make it putting in a retail element, the risk is you just have fewer and fewer um, kind of equity raisings that have a kind of retail element within them well, because of that protection you're absolutely. talking about. Absolutely. So, so I think perhaps the, you know, the need for speed is behind... Uh, this decision for Centrica to go down this placing route and that to me is worrying which I mentioned in the editorial I mean you know to have to do something quickly to protect credit credit rating suggests a business that's perhaps a bit out of control in some respects certainly in, in, in respect of the balance sheet you know going back to Hotel Chocolat the orb market for example the retail bond market that retail investors are able to participate in has struggled to get new issuance a lot of what we call mini bonds have been issued in the same time including by companies like Hotel Chocolat Hotel Chocolat is a great example of a success story there, but it's essentially an unregulated way of raising money through debt issuance. But if you issue a mini bond, you do not have to comply with the prospectus directive. It's far easier to do and far cheaper. So is the worry that if you complain about this too much as a private investor, you're kind of off your nose to spite your face? It's, it's just impossible. I, I've never been a great believer in wrapping in private investors in cotton wool. You know, I just don't believe that. Uh, and, you know, we one of our former colleagues went to the FCA this week and we, we actually popped into the office and we had a little chat. And, you know, one of the things I said to him is, you know, you've you know, you essentially left a big part of the market unregulated, mini bonds. Um, the regulated part of the market's dying to death. And, you know, but you have no oversight of the bit that's unregulated. So, I mean, this is madness. It's madness. So there you go. But anyway, I was really annoyed. Actually, I've, my 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 tone has changed a pitch or two. <laughs> well, I, mean, I was really annoyed. <laughs> really annoyed. It took the shine off West Ham's incredible victory against Manchester United. <laughs> um, no, no, it's really, it's really. I think, I think this is poor. I think this is, you know, a, a business like Centrica, um, which is essentially one of the companies that has emerged from the British gas privatisations of the 80s, um, has huge retail share ownership, many of whom are not particularly active, but that's besides the point. Those people are 7% worse off. And you know, a number of institutions have, have bought some shares. Great, but yeah, not impressed. And I think we're going to see a bit more of it. It's something that certainly agitates a lot of our of our readers as well. It's one thing they do often get in touch about if yeah. there's been a, a placing to institutions rather than the rights issue. Indeed, and and more to the point, the, the you know the actual business is doing appallingly from what I what I can gather. I mean, the you know the retail uh, energy supply business is, is, is hemorrhaging customers, um, and you know, and apparently one of the acquisitions that it's 
going to be funding with this fundraising is uh, in that space and going to help them address that. But my goodness, I think there's some basics they could get right. Right, enough Senjika, because I'm angry now. Uh, what next, Ben? Yeah, let's bring the temperature down yeah, a little bit. I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess another thing worth talking about is um, is Imagination Technologies. Um, a company called, hopefully I said this right, I'm going to say go, go for Qinghao Uni Group, which is a Chinese state-backed technology fund, um, bought a 3% stake in Imagination. And that sent the shares up 11% because the view was that this kind of investment by this Chinese company might well be an early sign that it's in the market to try and buy imagination outright that's potentially a bit speculative at this point you know three percent purchase is not a 51 percent purchase or more um but it is it it did a lot to move the share price and um theron mohammed our technology reporter sort of spoke to a couple of analysts and while they kind of think that yes sir uh, an imminent takeover is certainly not likely um there are things that ching has done in the not too distant past, to suggest that it would make sense for it to go after imagination in the long term. Um, so it's bought HP's uh, networking business, and it actually bought one of the imagination's customers, which is called uh, Spread Trum. Mm. Um, so it's an interesting move there. It's interesting as well, also because Apple is a big customer of imagination, and Apple is also uh, the fourth largest shareholder in imagination. And Apple and China don't necessarily always get on either. I think. Um, Apple's boss Tim Cook's over there trying to iron out some troubles that um, Apple Technology's been well, having. It's a good company, there. isn't it? I think the Queen doesn't like Chinese much. Well, <laughs> the Queen doesn't like them either, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just, thought, I just thought it was an interesting story, really, and um, there's potentially an interesting game to be played out there, um, especially if this uh, Qinghao uh, company buys buys more of those shares. Yeah, it's, it is interesting. It is, But then Apple owns so much more. So, I mean, if that, At know, the moment. At the moment, at the moment. I mean, you know, there has been speculation for many years that Chinese companies will, will move up, continue to move up the value chain. Um, perhaps this is, yeah, a, a step in that direction. Yeah, I mean, often got, I suppose they try and... There are examples um, like a Baidu or whatever, where there's an actual Chinese company that's actually sort of fighting against the Western equivalent on its own kind of mm. grounds. But then there are going to be industries whereby it makes sense to actually buy in the Western expertise yeah. or buy it. Um, and that's that's potentially the long-term game could be what's going on here. Or it could just be a, a state-backed technology fund that sees a good investment. Indeed. Indeed. Who knows? Who knows? I mean, I know in the past that, uh, you know, there has been, in, uh, there has been uh, certain fear of Chinese companies buying Western technology companies. Um, some of it Marconi. Back in the uh, back in the long uh, and distant past, um, when that was going through troubles, a Chinese company tried to buy it, um, was blocked. Um, the same has happened in in, uh, in with American companies as well. So yeah, I mean you know, they, I think the Chinese have been after high end technology for quite some time. This is the I you know if this is the beginning of a trend, it wouldn't surprise me at all. No, absolutely. I think you're you're quite quite probably right. Right, my favourite headline of the week: InterServe laid out by Glasgow Kiss. Yeah, it was a good one, wasn't it? Mark Robinson's responsible for that. So, he's, um, yeah, he's he's good with that sort of thing. Yeah, so while we had Hotel Chocolat shares up nearly a third in one day, we had Interserves down about 24%, I think it was, in one day as well. Wow. Because there, there were, it kind of had um, alerted people to the fact that some revenues in the Middle East might be a bit sort of softer than anticipated. But actually, it was um, problems at its UK construction division, which um, dealt the blow, really, because the group's taking a 70 million uh, provision in relation to a waste-to-energy contract in Glasgow mm. um, linked to subcontractor issues. Um, and yeah, the market did not take kindly to it at all, so it fell very strongly. Um, 
and I guess this is a bit of a problem because if the sort of weakness in the Middle East does transpire as well, then that's going to be a, another problem. Which yes, it's already talked about, but that on top of this domestic problem is um, is not great. So well, indeed, I mean, you know, and this perhaps is another example of the uh, spike in profit warnings that John Rose refers to in his his column that I also mentioned in the editorial. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they seem to be at elevated levels. You've got some good results coming through from companies, but where you're getting these profit warnings, they, they look pretty nasty. I mean, this is, uh, you know, yeah. he talks about a couple of his holdings, St. Ives and Spruagus, who shares, I mean, absolutely, yeah, they're halved in, in both cases in a day. Got to put my hand up as a restaurant group. I cover that one. That's been painful recently. Oh, well, well, he mentions that too. Yeah. And, you know, and he said the surprise there is not that there was a profit warning, but how quickly the second one followed after that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we do seem to be seeing some, some difficult trading conditions for perhaps more companies than we used to uh, of late. And uh, here's another example. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not not all great out there on the markets. No, I think any weakness is being really punished by the market as well, even if there's kind of the low end of expectations can start to be punished now as well. Yeah. The market's been pretty unforgiving. Well, I think I uh, was looking this morning, apparently the uh, US markets were off quite quite sharply overnight on the base of weak earnings as well. I guess it's a kind of strange mixture of risk off and risk on. People were happy to to be in the markets, but when when there is the, the you know any sign of weakness, it's like the, the, yeah that risk is well and truly off. Mm. But so risk off, that's what we like, even if you are investing in equities. And the best way to do that, Ian, is to buy boring. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely right. Um, well, it's it's a it's a feature idea that we we often different people are kind of battered around, um, and we all know the kind of companies we think are the most boring. Right? We talk about boring bundle. Bundle. bundle Sorry, bundle. This is no. This is actually no judgment of bundle. You're getting an insight into the IC office. It, you know, it's, it, bundle's been around for years. Other other well for years. Other publications have called them boring bundle have they? too. So we've never worry. actually gone as far as to call them boring bundle. Have we not? We might. I don't have done. think we have. We have now. We have now. Um, but they, they are a great company. But it's just like paper towels. Yeah. So the idea is to pick <laughs> those companies that do things that um, aren't the most exciting, mm. um, aren't going to lure in the kind of private investors looking for a, an exciting, disruptive growth stock, and might be undervalued as a, as a result. And that, that kind of idea has been uh, around for a while. And we can all name companies that we think um, might fit into that bucket. Um, what I tried to do with the feature was to quantify that to some extent to say okay well we say something's overlooked just because we think it's overlooked but actually how could we come up with some kind of metric um so this isn't really value it's more which which stocks are getting the le- less at the least attention what is so, it? i mean this is quite this is quite modern really because we, this is kind of social yeah so in that so it's very uh, bespoke and untested uh, and i'm sure it has flaws to it but the, the approach that we took was to look at um the social media the relevant mentions using some data from trading.co.uk which is a real-time information platform um and to look at the number of relevant mentions of a company on, on social media over a given time period which is kind of january to april this year um we um, give it a, a score so the higher the score the more kind of re- relevant mentions that company was getting so we use that as a kind of measure of the attention it was receiving across social media and then also we built in a score around the amount of research houses covering a a stock based on S&P capital IQ data so again the higher the score the more attention it was getting from different research houses we combined the two to try and get an idea of those stocks that are over this time period getting most attention from kind of um, the buy side but also from uh, you know the private investor audience or kind of generally so that's what we did and we kind of did it across the FTSE 350 and then we looked at the ones that we thought on that basis were most overlooked in the FTSE 250 and in the FTSE 100 and it just threw up quite an interesting 
group of companies and you can have a look at them but um one classic one that you might have already said you might have suggested would be in there is Mondi in the FTSE 100 in some ways you would say well you know the smaller stocks will get less attention but it's not it's no no means the smallest stock in well, the FTSE 100 6.3 billion is exactly. that it's a big old company it's a big old company and yet it's on our measure kind of the second most overlooked in the FTSE 100 why is that is it because people don't get can't get excited by paper and packaging perhaps but it's just one of those kind of stocks I suppose the thing about this whole method is that we're not saying value these have an investment value in themselves what you need to do is take your investment strategy and overlay that on top of this mm. you know so mm. but, and i think what would be nice would be or interesting would be to look in a year's time at how have these or in a couple of years time how have these companies performed relative to the wider index well it's a system i think we can refine exactly we can, sure. yeah i think i think what you would do is as an investor would say okay look well, if i want to kind of get some exposure to stocks that i see as being overlooked based on this metric but i also you know have a value strategy i build that in as well so you know i'm not just going to buy Monday because I don't think it gets the attention it deserves. Um, I also will hit by a point in the valuation cycle that I you, think is attractive. You would have done very well if you'd bought Monday five years ago. Yeah, so we tried to pick out some of the ones that we thought that we have also tipped over time. So out of the kind of the automatically generated stocks, you know, Monday we, we've tipped twice in just in the past few years, tipped in 2012 and again in, in 2015. And we just like the management. We think that it's well managed, invest wisely. It makes the right kind of acquisitions. I mean, it's now exposed to this kind of trend towards e-commerce and click and collect and the whole kind of consumer packaging side of things as well. So it's, it, we like that company. Um, Babcock is another good example of a company that we've kind of tipped a couple of times it doesn't do the most kind of headline grabbing work but it's stable growth and i suppose another point with monday as well is that it has just demonstrated annual growth in eps kind of compound growth of 20 percent since listing mm. so these are companies that have kind of demonstrated you know we've picked out the ones we think well they've they've been overlooked but unjustly because they've demonstrated growth share price um, and earnings growth over over the time since they've been listed yeah so we've got a company to help us with this didn't we trading.co.uk yeah so yeah so they gave us the data on the social media data and then we got s&p capital iq for the for the research data and then if you look at FTSE 250 uh, overlooked stocks you have things like uh, dignity was quite low down there let's not talk about them <laughs> <laughs> they do funerals, all right? do funerals, yeah. Bring, bring the podcast, podcast down, bring the podcast down. Um, okay. But there's yeah, also a quite... It's the unavoidable in life, so I mean, you know, yeah, it's, exactly. it's a good business. And um, then and Dejan Holdings is an interesting one, I'm sure if I pronounce that correctly, which is one of Simon Thompson's picks that he looks at. And I think one of the reasons that's possibly overlooked is that it has a fair amount of family ownership of the stock. It also has absolutely minimal contact with uh, the market. Like If you look at the annual results, there's about 400 words that aren't the financials, and they don't really speak to the press and there's many reasons why they just don't get looked at I, did, I wasn't very familiar with them I have to admit but they have this fascinating um, background to them the, the current directors are sons of um, uh, a man called Ozias Freshwater who escaped the Holocaust on the last ship out of, uh, out of Danzig before um, for the outbreak of the Second World War and the current family now own a fair chunk of the stock. But you can invest in that stock. Simon's obviously counselled readers too and the people that have taken his counsel will have done really well over the past few years as the company has kind of grown. I should explain it does commercial and residential property. It also has Mm. quite a big bias towards um, London South East. So obviously that's done very well over the past few years. Marshalls, another one I noticed here. That's interesting. Building materials. Yeah, paving perhaps is not the most exciting subject. Yeah, I mean, how many driveways do you walk past though I mean you know every single one of those pretty much is Marshall's block paving 
Exactly right. And, and uh, at the moment, we're having a bit of a revival of infrastructure spending, as we've written about previously in the title. Um, so, you know, but perhaps it's a, you know, one that you, people haven't paid much attention to. Um, but yeah, it's nuts and bolts stuff, isn't it? So, yeah, these are the kind of um, stocks that have been thrown up by this screen. I use screen in a broad sense for this. But it will be really interesting now, at least to look in future, at how these stocks actually perform, you know, in a year's time relative to the wider index. Yeah. I mean, I mean Chris Dillo has offered some, some ideas of why this phenomenon might be the case that that actually boring companies tend to and perhaps in the past not necessarily now we'll come on to that but in the past have been undervalued because people actually as a result of human nature gravitate towards more exciting growth opportunities uh, which don't necessarily work out so there is a uh, an investment psychology rationale for why this this strategy works exactly right yeah he's he's come up with four reasons why um defensive stocks um which you could broadly Wait, i mean some of these you wouldn't call these defensive necessarily really. but i mean cyclical defensives in, in a way yeah i think one of the reasons why defensive stocks kind of out he says outperform with the long term is because people don't look at boring stocks as much as they look at exciting yeah. ones and we're, we're talking about the kind of overlooked stocks here so it's only a kind of subset of that but yeah I think you're right he says that investors might be systematically over optimistic about exciting stocks when it comes to the corporate growth not so optimistic and uh, ebullient about paper towels and uh... exactly right and then he also says which is quite interesting that fund managers don't want to pick defensive stocks because they might not in a, in a rising market they tend to underperform you know and fund managers are trying to demonstrate you know they've got their own career risk right they're trying to demonstrate their own value. That said, we uh, Daniel Liberto um, has uh, has worked with you on this feature this week, and he's actually uh, found a few fund managers who actually kind of employ this strategy. They, exactly, they, yeah. they go for the unloved. And I think, yeah, if you once you've kind of read our slightly kind of bespoke strategy of trying to identify some of these companies, if you want to know how the experts do it, um, Daniel's done a really interesting piece where he's, he's talked to a few fund managers. Obviously. Peter Lynch is the most successful in terms of he, he's written about, but he's also spoken to three um, fund managers who currently try and find value by picking those stocks that perhaps other people overlook. Unfashionable. Um, unfashionable, perhaps, yeah. So there will be some of the, they are some of the more well-known stocks, to be fair, but, you know, where how can you pick unfashionable companies that you think provide value? So if you want to kind of, yeah, to put some of that into action, you could um, take some tips from the from the experts. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a great, it's a great feature. I mean, it's an interesting it's just an interesting way to, to think about how you invest, um, you know, beyond the chasing growth, yeah. which, uh, which I think is the sort of uh, populist perception of, of how you make money on the stock market. And we and we obviously do a lot of growth tips and, you know, we, we put a lot of um, effort into that. I think the other side of it is I did just briefly look at kind of taking the other angle, which is if you want to invest in the stocks that you think get the most attention, um, obviously you can flip it on its head and saying, what are the buzz stocks right now on the FTSE 250? And and, and you won't be surprised that it's stocks like... Um Talk Talk or Home Retail Group that are getting a huge amount of attention currently. I mean, this is generally because of specific. So Talk Talk is. Uh, I mean, they're obviously in the news because they had this great big hack. Exactly right, and, and Home Retail because they, you know, they're being picked apart by, um, you know, in, as a as a takeover target. But the, the interesting thing there is, well, that doesn't have any value in itself. It's just saying these companies are most talked about at the moment. But there is the establishment of these kind of social investment and real time investment platforms, trading.co.uk being one of them, but eTop being kind of a social investment platform where you copy other traders. What I'm trying to do a little bit there is, is get into this expanding world of invet- private investors or even day traders really using re- real-time data to kind of get a sense of how sentiment is shifting. 
So, yeah, it, yeah. so when you see that these stocks are on a particular day getting more attention on social media, the data show that they are also get a higher price volatility on the, on the day. So obviously you can be on the wrong side of that. But yeah, if you want to search for buzz stocks, I think increasingly we're going to see investors use more of this kind of social metrics um, and kind of data approach. As people get more, and this is one of the things I've talked about with a couple of people in the feature, is there is more of a trust for date, real-time data from mm. investors that perhaps there wasn't in the past. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think this, I mean, this is very new. You know, I mean, Twitter's been around a while, but not not that long. Not certainly not long enough to have really found its way into to the investing, uh, you know, uh, canon, as it were. Um, I think we will look back in this in a few years and think, yeah, we were on something here. But uh, hopefully, but, but look at it in, 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 as though it was a very unsophisticated first step. No disrespect. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't need the vary in there, but I'll take your point. Uh, no, no, I really do. Yeah. I think this is this is this is the future. I think the old fundamental ways will not disappear, but I think yeah, we cannot ignore this this sort of sentiment and social media driven approach, which is which is affecting every part of our lives now. Yeah, and this is something that you know I we I spoke about with with Gareth Mann um, at Trading.co.uk in the piece, and he was saying that. Their happiest users of that platform use a few different kind of data sources. And I think mm. private investors, if, okay, if you want to buy and hold and, and you're not really interested in the day-to-day buzz, fine. But I think for those investors that want to get into it, they will use a lot of different platforms to kind of get a, and consume a lot of data in terms of picking their points over where they think the share price move is going to go. So That's how our yeah. journalism is going as well. It's exactly. I mean, whole, you know, the whole world of journalism. You hear it from uh, the inside here. It's, it's, it's going towards very much data-driven journalism. It's, data, uh, data, data, data is uh, the new big thing. In fact, big data is the new big thing, as we often write. Okay, no, thanks, Ian. I thought it was a, I thought it was a fantastic feature. I really did, and uh, yeah, I, I'm look forward to how it develops over the years. Exactly <laughs> <laughs> right. Having insulted you horribly. <laughs> Sorry, mate. No. Uh, okay. Fine. Anyway, no, thank you, thank you, uh, Ian, thank you, uh, Bradley. Results-wise, I mean, we touched on BT. What else we got? I mean, on on the subject of data, you know, a company that is established um, is Experian, which obviously is kind of credit data and it's a boring company that's a boring company too it didn't come up in my screen um, it's also a boring company that's been struggling because of the kind of currency translation effects but it was a good under for underlying performance in its um, 2016 results they've improved their north america consumer services business which is where you kind of go on and see your credit rating all that kind of stuff mm. that's you know they're now seeing some growth there and that have been that have been struggling and, and the and the broader kind of um credit services segment um, has been doing quite well. So it, that's a quite a good example of a, uh, of a company that has a huge data pool um, and is starting to kind of see real value out of it, or not starting to, it has for a while. It's huge. I hadn't realised how big it was, actually. I did, just When I looked at this result, I kind of, yeah, just struck by how big it is, how important it is, and how pretty much no one <laughs> has any idea this company even exists. And I think that's part of the reason why they do the consumer-facing part of it is because they're raising attention for the kind of the wider part of their business. And actually, if you think about a company that's going to do well, hopefully, in some or, or be defensive in some to some degree in downturns, it's going to be a company that provides credit monitoring services are always going to be needed at these times where, you know, especially if you're globally focused, there's always going to be areas where there's going to be a huge amount of demand and growing demand for this analytics. It's funny, actually, we're talking about boring. Sage had results this week uh, we won't go into it in detail suffice to say Sage which provides accountancy software it's rather boring <laughs> it's doing really well and uh, actually when I was uh, back in the days when I was a tech analyst there was a guy who, who used to uh, he had something called the Boring Award and Sage was a regular winner of that Sage and Capita so yeah boring's good boring's good boring's good, boring's good. Bradley thing. what have you 
covered this week that's really boring? Compass, that's quite boring. Um, I suppose, that, yeah, I mean, it's boring in the sense of they, they're effectively uh, responsible for feeding staff of companies. Companies hire Compass to put in their food solution, canteen, whatever you want to call it. I guess... Food solutions. <laughs> <laughs> if you're hungry, the solution is feed. <laughs> But some of the places they do it is not that boring. They 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 serve companies who have oil rigs and hard to reach places that sort of thing. But anyway, yeah, I mean, but it's not exactly the Ritz, is it? No, it's <laughs> not. Although I've not been to all of their canteens, so I don't know. I'm sure there's some very good Compass canteens. It's, it's a massive, massive company, Compass. So. But it's not what you you would not say. Oh, you know what? Let's go and run a load of canteens in some workplaces, and that's going to be no. you know, the route to massive riches. Actually, it is. Yeah, you're right. Especially you, in you, the US, as you. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're actually the the tenth largest employer in the US. It's amazing, really. So, so they are a very vast company. Yeah, they're they're, they're doing well. The US growth was fantastic. Um, there's a little restructure going on in there emerging market offshore kind of business because that's being challenged by the you know ongoing travails in commodities mm. but that is the smallest part of their business and actually commodities only make up seven percent of their revenues so they're not overly exposed they're just a bit exposed there okay interesting well not really interesting quite boring Thanks, <laughs> nothing's interesting we want boring we don't want interesting okay that's uh, that's enough for this week. Uh, lots more in the magazine. We have uh, part two of our 50 objects of investing. Um, let's hear what it is. Beautiful. We have uh, Sex Focus on Care Homes, which is, again, uh, sort of somewhat boring subject, but... Uh, vitally important. But vitally important and under threat. There's a, a video this week on the website. Uh, Megan Boxer was talking to Harriet Russell, our sector's editor, about that. Could we uh, uh, give a shout-out for our Safe Stay video as well? Our property correspondent, Jonas Crosland, has been to the Holland Park uh, swanky hostel of Safe Stay um, in a site visit, and it's really interesting. as an interview with the chief executive there talking about the growth strategy, but it's it's very interesting company. Um, so, yeah, do have a look. Okay. Uh, so we've got the Private Investor Diary. John Rosier updating this month. It's been, it's been a tricky one. He's had some winners. He's had some uh, some losers. And, uh, yeah, he's just explaining how he handles profit warnings when, when they hit companies in his portfolio. The usual comment, the usual tips, and lots of news. We've got a nice piece on oil from Alex Newman and a nice piece on pharma from Megan Boxall. Uh, but anyway, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Thank you, Bradley. Thank you, Ian. Not too interesting. I hope, sorry, not too boring. Uh, and uh, we'll be back again next week. Pick up the magazine, Stealth Stocks, £4.70 and all good news agents. Thank you very much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 